find that the Bible in general, the book of Romans in particular, are extremely practical books. They tell us a lot of what we need to know about living. Some of the most essential truths for living are given to us right here in the book of Romans. We can only be right with God when we are justified by faith in Christ alone. That's at the top of the list. There's nothing more important as knowing that you're right with God and how to be right with God. And that comes only one way, through faith in Christ alone. We can be, become more and more like Jesus and less like the world by the renewing of our minds, as we're told here in Romans 12. We saw last week that we are never to do wrong in response to wrong done against us. It's never right to return evil for evil. Rather, God's plan is for us to overcome evil with good. We're also told in Romans 12, we are as much as is possible and as much as it lies within us to live at peace with all men. This morning, from Romans 13, we want to contemplate and learn to apply another universal truth, an essential truth for living. If you're going to live well in this world, you must learn to live under authority. We have to learn to respect the authority that God has placed over us and to submit to that authority. The particular authority dealt with in Romans 13 verses 1 to 7 is governmental and civil authority. Being citizens of heaven does not exempt us and release us as followers of Jesus from being responsible to government authority. Paul writes concerning this important, this important truth, while living within the boundaries of the Roman Empire, and he also lived during the days of Nero, one of the most wicked Roman emperors that there was. In fact, Paul was imprisoned by the Roman government. Paul was eventually executed by the Roman government. I, I submit to you, this passage of Scripture had great personal meaning for the Apostle Paul. I'm sure he might have had to wrestle with some of these things. I can tell you this morning, this, this passage of Scripture also has had great personal meaning for me in my own life as well. I was uh, graduating from college during the days of the Vietnam War. And I had gotten serious about living for the Lord about my junior year in college, up until then, kind of off and on. But uh, about my junior year in college, I really wanted to live my life to please God and do what God wanted me to do. As I faced the prospect of graduating from college, it was also the prospect of entering the military. Uh, whether by draft or rather by enlisting and whatnot. And uh, one of the things I wrestled with, if I went into the military, would I be able to carry a gun and, if necessary, shoot at the enemies of our country? And I wrestled with that question. And God helped me to find Romans chapter 13, and come to the answer that I needed to have at that time, that if indeed I went into the military, I could be a minister of God even in that, and if necessary, 
I, I would be able to even in, in serving before the authority placed over me, be able to help to defend our country uh, even by use of force. That's some of the teaching we have in this passage of Scripture that has been particularly meaningful to me in my own life. We, we see four key facts that stand out in this passage. First of all, we see the provision of government authority by God. We see the purpose that God has for government authority. We see the power that God gives to government authority. And finally, the position before government authority that God expects us to take as Christians. First of all, we find that all government authority is provided by God. There's a a great declaration where it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And get this, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We serve a sovereign God. There is a God who's sovereign over all, and there is, even though the nations would like to think that they're sovereign and government leaders would like to think that they're in control, God's in control. This passage of Scripture tells us that there is no authority, but what God sets that authority up, whether it's civil authority, government authority, whether it's parental authority, whether it's the the authority in schools or, or whatever, all authority is set up by God, that there is is no exception. Uh, God's in ultimate control, and nobody is any place of authority except God allows them to be there. That's true educationally, it's true in the workplace, and, and we need to recognize that fact and learn to live in submission to the authorities that God places us under. One of the, 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 one of the keys to living a horrible life is to live in constant rebellion against authority. Our prisons are full of people that, that never learn to live under authority. And quite honestly, a lot of them are probably still bucking authority, even in prison, and it makes it difficult for them there. One of the greatest things we can ever learn is to live under the authorities that God has placed above us. And it is God that places authority over us in Acts 17, 26, it talks about nations. It says, and he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all, <laughs> all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That's true of every nation. We also have some specific examples of where God has set kings and nations up. One is King Nebuchadnezzar one of the most powerful despots that's ever ruled on the face of this earth. And God takes him through an interesting experience in Daniel chapter 4 where where Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn a lesson. And the lesson that he needs to learn is that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that lesson and God takes him off the throne For seven years, uh, he he went out and lived in the fields like an animal. And then amazingly enough, this is something that would be unheard of, God put him back on the throne. That just didn't happen in that ancient world with kings and monarchs. If they went off the throne, they were gone. Usually a lot of times they were dead. But but God took him off the throne, put him back on the throne, and and wanted to teach him that, that he, that not Nebuchadnezzar, 
But God rules in the affairs of men. He may have been the king of Babylon, but Jesus Christ and God our Father is king of kings and Lord of lords. And Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that lesson. I believe he did. In fact, I think Daniel chapter 4 is probably a gospel tract that he read, that he wrote concerning what God had done in his life. At least another example of this is in Cyrus, the king of Persia. Nebuchadnezzar was the king that God used to carry, start carrying Israel off into captivity. Uh, Daniel was carried under captivity. Ezekiel carried under captivity uh, under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, on the other hand, we find that God uses Cyrus to allow the Jews to come back to, to uh, Israel, to Palestine, after that 70-year captivity. And uh, he's that king of Persia who was allowed to do it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. And this is one of the most remarkable prophecies that we have anywhere in Scripture. Isaiah 44, in, in verse 28, It's talking about God and His sovereign. It says, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd? Cyrus, this Persian king, was going to be God's shepherd. By the way, uh, God is, is giving this information to Isaiah about 150 years before Cyrus ever comes on the scene. Uh, God is saying, talking about Cyrus and about what He's going to do through him, and He names him. God names him 150 years ahead of time. That'd be like a, a, a prophet of God standing up 150 years ago and saying that Donald Trump was going to be the president of the United States before Trump, Donald Trump was ever even thought about by anybody but God. That's what's going on here. Follow along as I read. It says, he says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to, to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus is going to let you go back. This is before Israel is ever even carried out of the land. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, this is Cyrus, to Cyrus whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of the secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, 150 years ahead of time, I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I've even called you by your name. I've named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Do you get the message? Do you have an understanding there is no other God? There is no other sovereign. There's no one else who's in control. Our God is in control. And I don't know about you, but when our government does things that I don't like and that I think are really off base, one of the things that, that encourages my heart and my soul is 
God's in control. God's in control. God's on the throne. And, and what an encouragement that there is in that. And, and Paul must have thought the same way. As he sat in that Roman prison cell. You know, the emperor's not in control. Caesar's not in control. Nero's not in control. He doesn't decide whether I live or die. My heavenly father decides how long I will be on the face of this earth. He decides whether I live or whether I die. So point number one, when it comes to human authority, it's set up by God. Our God is sovereign. In fact, that, uh, he sets up and brings down nations and empires and rulers at, at will. By the way, this includes bad governments, bad rulers. They only rule because God allowed them to rule. I think of Jesus talking to Pilate when he's on trial before Pilate. And Jesus doesn't answer all of Pilate's questions right away. And Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority over you? And Jesus said, you don't have anything. You don't have anything but what my Father has given it to you. And that's true of any ruler today on the earth, whether it's Putin in Russia, whether it's that Un-Il over in North Korea, whether it's Donald Trump, wherever, whoever it might be, nobody has any authority, any power, any rule, but what God allows them to be in that position, even bad rulers. Grab a hold of that, folks, that fact, folks. Our God's in control. He's in control of the nations. He's in control of the world. He's in control of our lives. And we need to recognize that fact. What an amazing thing we think about how God is in such sovereign control, and there's no government or institution or government official that, by the way, that's perfect. None of them are. We talk about bad government. Well, we find that there's sinners in every government, in every level of government, and we find that's true in other realms of authority as well. But that's not ever an excuse for us to reject, rebel, and to live selfishly. One of the greatest things we can do is live under the authorities that God has placed over us. That's the implication. Everyone should submit to government. In fact, we're told here, (laughs) if we resist authorities that God has set up, what do we do? We resist God. If if we rebel against the the, the laws and, and things of the land, whether we rebel against the, the, the rules of a house, a household, to rebel against God-ordained authorities is to resist God. And to resist God-ordained authorities is to bring judgment upon ourselves by the authorities and also sometimes by God. Rebellion's a dangerous thing. We find in 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. One of the greatest things we can learn is to live under authority, whether it's parental authority, teacher's authority, government authority, police authority, military authority. If you're in the military, we've got to learn that lesson. But there's, there's one exception. We've got to emphasize that. There's one exception. And you know what that exception is, don't you? It's when governments would pass laws or, 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 or edicts that directly violate the revealed Word of God. Then who do we obey, folks? We obey God. We find it in Acts 5, the apostles were brought in before the 
the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish government authority there in Jerusalem. And they were told, don't speak in that name of Jesus anymore. Don't speak in that name. And you remember Peter's answer? The apostles' answer? I love it. We must what? We must obey God rather than man. We live in a country where the, uh, the, the law of the land is uh, babies can be aborted clear up to the time that they're born. Folks, that doesn't make it right. If you're in the medical field, you may be working in an institution where they try to, to force you to be involved in abortions. There's a place to stand up and say, we've got to obey God rather than man. I know a fellow that worked for a publishing company, Meredith Publishing Company out in Iowa, and the, uh, they did Life magazine or Look magazine and a few others back then, and, and they decided they were going to go ahead and print Penthouse magazine, a, a pornographic magazine. And he said he couldn't, he couldn't have any part of it. And eventually he ended up losing his job because of that. So there is a place, folks, where sometimes authorities will tell us to do something that runs contrary to what the Word of God has to say. And at that point, we obey God rather than man. We find that the perp- there's a purpose for the government is that it's for good. Uh, that, that's God's plan. He, he says rulers are, are not a terror to good works, but, but should be to evil works. Do you want to not be afraid of the authorities? Do what's good. You want to not be afraid of, of uh, the consequences of breaking the law? Guess what? All you have to do is don't break the law. Generally, the purpose of laws is to bring order and, and make things peaceful for people to live. That, that even takes place under bad governments for the most part. Although, certainly there, there have been believers that have been mistreated and, and so forth by persecution. We have Islamic dictatorships where, where believers have been treated miserably. But still, basically, you obey the laws of the land, except when they contradict what the Word of God has to say, except when they go against what, what God has to say. Uh, generally, government authority is for the good of the people, and, and police and civil authorities are, are not a cause to fear to those who abide by the law. You know, if I'm going down the road and I'm going 55 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone and I see the lights come on on a police car, I don't sweat. But if I'm going down the road at 65 in a 55 mile an hour zone and I see the lights come on, I do start to sweat. And the foot comes off off the pedal. But, you know, it's like that in so many other areas of life. The, the key thing is to uh, recognize that if we obey what God would have us to do, we don't have to worry about authorities. Now, we find that government's to be a good thing. In fact, that's recognized even in the preamble of our Constitution, where it says that our, our government was being formed by we the people to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, and here's a key one here, promote domestic tranquility, keep peace in the land, order in society, provide for the common defense against external enemies that would attack us. 
promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. Basically, those are biblical principles for what government's all about. And I'm thankful that the founders of our country recognize that, and, and that's basically what the functions of, of strong civil uh, central government should still be about today. Uh, probably a lot of things that government's involved in, maybe they ought to keep their noses out of, but that's another thing. But this is primarily, government is to be a, a good thing and a positive thing in the lives of the people. Police and civil authorities are, are, to, are to produce fear in those who do evil. You know, if somebody comes and invades my house or is attacking my house or my family, uh, I'm thankful when a, a policeman comes along and uh, it, it provides fear in the life of that person. And maybe they try to head down, get out of there and go a different direction. And we find that, that police and civil authorities are absolutely necessary because of the sinful nature of men. You know, you get some people that come up with some, some strange ideas sometimes where they think, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful that if there just weren't any rules, if there weren't any laws, if people were just allowed to do what, what they feel like doing, you know, then, then that'd be just a wonderful thing. That song John Lennon did a few years ago, Just Imagine or whatever, what a bunch of garbage. You know, one thing that he's absolutely neglecting is the sinful nature of man. One of the biggest failures of, of socialism and communism is that they don't recognize the sinful nature of man. You know, you might think, well, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful? Everybody could do what, if, if I could do what I felt like doing, well, what if somebody feels like hitting you over the head and taking what you have? Well, they wouldn't feel, yes, they would. People do feel that way. People do things like that, don't they? Men are basically sinful. That's why God gives us order. <laughs> the, the worst times... In the nation of Israel was during the days of the judges when it said what? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We need there to be some structure. In fact, bad government's bad. But there's something worse than bad government. You know what that is? Anarchy. Anarchy. Where there's no structure. There's no order. There's no law. What a horrible thing that is when you've got a situation like that. We find that that gives us even the extent of the power that God places in the hands of those in civil authority. In verse 4, it says, The one in civil authority is God's minister to do to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Civil authority, police, are, are to be make workers of evil afraid. They're called here ministers of God, servants of God. That's the thing that helped me when I thought about going into the army. If I go in the army and, and I, I have the responsibility to defend my country in doing that, I'm actually a minister of God. You know, that's an amazing thing. The title of this message is Surprising Ministers of God. 
You know, the only ministers of God aren't those that stand behind pulpits. In fact, any of us that serve God are ministers of God. We serve Him. And here he says, the extent to, to which the authority goes is even authority to bear the sword. Now, what's a sword? A sword is an instrument that was used to sometimes keep order by means of physical force and physical punishment. Oh, how could we have that when we have such a loving and wonderful God? Well, we have wicked and sinful men. And there needs to be sometimes force to, in, in, to keep order in society. Bearing the sword refers to the use of force and includes the lawful imposition of punishment, even to the extent of capital punishment. In Genesis chapter 9, it says that if a man sheds another man's blood, by man his blood should be shed. Now, that's not talking about getting personal revenge, but that's talking about due process and the order of things by man, that even capital punishment is something that should take place. So there, there's the bearing of the sword. A, a policeman uh, serving God, doing his job the way that God would have him to do, as pictured here, as a minister of God. A soldier doing his job uh, faithfully as a minister of God, serving God to help promote the general order to be God's avenger here, to be an instrument of God's wrath on evil workers. Well, well, why do we need that? Couldn't God just take care of it all in the end? Well, God will take care of it all in the end, won't he? There will be perfect justice in the end, although I'm so thankful that even in the midst of perfect justice, there's also grace. Because I don't know about you, I don't want perfect justice. If I got perfect justice from God, you know where I'd spend all of eternity? I'd spend all of eternity in hell. But Jesus took the perfect justice that I deserve. He bore my penalty on the cross of Calvary. And now I can experience God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. And what a wonderful thing that is. But for those that reject God's mercy, those that reject God's grace, there will be perfect justice. And we are to let God Avenge. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he deal, will deal with sin and rebellion and wickedness in, in absolute perfection. But the fact of the matter is men are so wicked and so sinful that we find that, that we need help down here. There, there's to be order. You, when, when God set up the theocracy for Israel back in the Pentateuch, one of the things that you find there is, is laws, 630-some laws that were there to, to tell them how they, they had to live their life. And there were penalties when people violated those laws. We have to have that in order to have any kind of order in society. And to, to be a, a soldier, to be a policeman, can be a, to be a servant of God. And there's great authority but there's also great responsibility. Anytime you're serving God, we need to recognize we also have to give an account to God as well. So we find as we get to it, our position before authority is number one, we're, we're to submit to it. Verse five, you must be subject. Well, not only because of wrath, not only because you might get caught, you might get punished, 
But he also says, we also ought to respect authority and be obedient to authority because of conscience sake. What's he saying here? He's talking about the fact that you and I as believers ought to do right just because it's right. We ought to avoid wrong just because it's wrong. You know, it's kind of that way growing up. You know, as I grew up, I, I, I obeyed my parents because I got in trouble if I didn't. And it wasn't a pleasant thing to get in trouble. Uh, my mother had, did you ever see those wooden paddles that they had that had the little rubber ball on them? And those rubber balls never lasted long on those paddles, but she, those paddles had a way of sticking around. Why they gave those things away as prizes at picnics and kids' activity and stuff like that, I'll never know. <coughs> Excuse me. That was the rod in, in our home. Unless my mom didn't have it handy and then she'd use a shoe. But but as I as we my sister and brother and I, as we grew up, we we learned to obey and respect and honor and listen to our parents. Not because we were going to get punished. Not because it was going to hurt. But because we learned to do it for conscience sake. My mom and dad are in glory now. And you know what? I still don't want to disappoint them. I still don't want to mess up to the point where one of these days I may see them in glory and they say, Ron? Ronald Craig? Oh man, I hated to hear that. I don't want to hear that when I get to glory. And so we're to do right just because it's right, because it's pleasing to God, even more so than pleasing to our parents and the authorities that are over us. So we submit for conscience sake. Number, Remember again, we obey God first. There are times where we obey God rather than man, but when we do that, we better make sure that there really is something we're being told to do by the law that, that it's not just something we don't like, but really is something run contrary to the will of God. Now, here's where we're going to get a lot of amens. Uh, we, we, it says, verse 6, For because of this, you also pay taxes. I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> We're not crazy about that. And this is, what, April 29th. We just came past April 15th, right? But you know what? It's a good thing to be able to pay taxes, especially when we support a military that protects us from external foes, especially when we protect, uh, when, when we help to support policemen who protect us from those who would steal everything that we have or, or take our very lives it's a good thing when we do that. Now, you say, well, our government doesn't do all they, they don't do well with our taxes. Well, that's not the issue, folks. And you know what? Those that are in authority as government, they're responsible to God to answer for what, how they spend our money. They're responsible for that. What are we responsible for? We're responsible to pay the taxes that the law says we should pay. We shouldn't be cheating on our taxes. But also, uh, we don't need to pay more than we should either. Sometimes being a good steward is taking advantage of opportunities that you have to not pay more than you have to. So we support with our taxes. And then 
We're told, render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs are due. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. But we also give respect and honor to those that are in authority. Say, well, boy, that so-and-so that's in charge of our state or our country or whatever or our representative or our senator, he's a scoundrel or she's a scoundrel. Well, that may be. And we don't always like the people or agree with the office, even when you don't respect the individual that's in that office. Sometimes it's tough to do that. But it's what God would have us to do. You know, the fact of the matter is, you hear the statement said sometimes, <coughs> you can't legislate morality. You can't make people be right by passing laws, by having people in authority. You can't force people to be moral. That's true. But you know what? You, you can legislate and enforce order in society. In fact, that must be done because of the sinful nature of men. We need that. God's given provision for that. And we thank Him for that. But the good news is you and I don't have to just be controlled by external forces. But if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it can produce within us a desire to do right, to not live selfishly, and to really be a blessing in our family, a blessing in our community, a blessing in our place of employment, a blessing in our church, if we got that relationship with Christ and we're really living for Him. You know, the good news as we come through all this passage of Scripture here, who's in control? Jesus. He is Lord of all. And why do we, why do we give a submission and respect authority someplace where we really wouldn't like to? Because ultimately, we're following the great authority, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken Christ to be your Savior, He's the ultimate authority you need to be looking to. And He wants to deal with you with grace and mercy and give you redemption and a wonderful place of, of fellowship at His table in glory forever and ever and ever. Father, we thank You for who you are. And Father, we confess that a lot of times we forget that you are in control. And sometimes we get upset, sometimes we get worried, and sometimes we, we get frustrated. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. And Father, we don't have to do that. Thank you that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. We thank you for providing a Savior for us in the Lord Jesus giving us the opportunity to live our lives for him day by day, minute by minute, and make our lives count for eternity. Father, how I, I thank you for those who have, are in places of authority who, who really stand for you and serve as your ministers, your servants, to help keep order, to help protect people, help keep things going in this society so that we can, can live peaceably and and present the gospel, and live for Jesus. Father, I do pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in areas of, of bad government, where, where Christianity is persecuted, where Christians are persecuted, where the name of Jesus is blasphemed. 
And they've got to live under circumstances like that. God helped them. Helped them to be able to stand for Christ and obey you and serve you and know when to, to what laws of the land to follow, but, but still just keep standing for you. Give them wisdom. Give them protection, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would just glorify yourself in what's done in each and every one of our lives. Help us to give you the respect that you deserve as the divine authority over all things and above all things in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.